Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show today. Hopefully, this episode will be very helpful for you. And so it's called the power of persuasion. This is something that is useful in regular life and our discussions. And also, uh, for many of you who are involved in some form of sales, power of persuasion, again, is critical. And, you know, I've been listening to this my whole life. You know, in Ireland, they say, ah, oh, Buffini, you have the gift of gab. You could sell ice to an Eskimo. That's how they used to say it to me. Because you could sell anything, basically, is the premise. And I've been told that many times. Brian, you can sell anything. The truth of the matter is, it couldn't be further from the truth. I can't just sell anything, and I never have been able to do such a thing. I can't sell anything I don't believe in. I can't convince anybody to do something I'm not convinced of myself. And so, in today's world, the power of persuasion is seen as a great weapon. You can get people to do what you want. You can influence people the way you want. You can win any argument that you want to win. And there is no doubt, my wife will attest to this, I'm not a fun guy to have an argument with. I'm very good at mental gymnastics and those kinds of things. But I hope to raise the level of this conversation today into something that is virtuous, that ultimately you see how persuasion can be such a powerful thing. We're going to focus our time today on two books, one of the all-time great books, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And we're also going to talk about Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. I'm going to share with you, when our house burned down a number of years ago, we lost over 5,000 books in that fire between Beverly's library, my library, and then the whole school library. Thousands and thousands of books went up in smoke. And as we rebuilt our new home, Beverly got a a library. Her library had this beautiful cherry wood on both sides of her office. It had a ladder on both sides, just like those old-fashioned libraries. You could put books in the highest reaches and access them and so on and so forth. And I remember on the day we were finishing the house, uh, walking in to the home and realizing that we had these giant bookshelves that were totally empty. It was the saddest thing on one hand to look at all these empty shelves. So I turned to my bride and I remember saying, hey, now we get a chance to do this. We only put the books on the shelves we absolutely want, that we absolutely treasure. And we only go and find those books that are most meaningful to us. And we get to start over again. Because there used to be, there was a lot of books. I used to tell people part of my job in helping them was to read crappy books and avoid people reading crappy books and then find the really good ones and then break it down into a synopsis that would be helpful and teach them in seminars and training and whatever else. And the very first book that I put on my brand new shelf that had spots for hundreds and hundreds of more books to come was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I consider it the foundational book in a library of personal growth and development. And a brilliant man with brilliant insight, that book was ultimately influenced by Russell Conwell's Acres and Diamonds. Carnegie himself, he first wrote a book, How to Speak and Influence People. So he was actually a public speaker. And his first book was about public speaking. And then over the years, as he helped more people and helped more people, 
as most great works turn out to be. They're works that evolve over time as you work with the actual challenges and real-life outworkings of people practically trying to use the things you're sharing in their real life. And that's where How to Win Friends and Influence People came from. A masterpiece, a masterpiece. And having read it many, many times, I read it again before putting it on my brand-new bookshelf, and I was not disappointed. And that influences two-thirds of our show today. And so let's give you the three points we're going to cover. First of all, and this is just classic Dale Carnegie-isms, you can't win an argument. The second thing we're going to talk about is why are we arguing? And then the third thing we're going to talk about, and we're going to lean more into Robert Caldini's book on influence, is that great salespeople have to be skilled at persuasion. And so this is the contrast. And we know argument today. I mean, we know today that uh, discussion is dead. Debate is dead. Having differing opinions. I mean, you get censored online for having differing opinions. And so that is the current trend. And things change. Pendulum swing. We currently have people arguing and nobody winning any argument. And let's talk about that today. Let's talk about why you can't win an argument. First of all, winning an argument is actually losing. That's the first thing you need to know. Winning an argument is actually losing. The next piece to know is that open mouth means a closed mind. And then lastly, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Well said, Mr. Carnegie. So let's talk about winning an argument and why it's actually losing. It's the small satisfaction for a bridge possibly burnt. And I've done this. I have withered under my own power of words where I've won arguments but lost battles. What is it? It's a narcissistic need. It's to reconfirm what we already believe. And the truth of the matter is, very little actually ever changes. Dale Carnegie in his uh, great book shares a story that he's at a dinner party. And a friend said a quote from the Bible was actually from Shakespeare. Well, Dale dutifully corrected him right away. What he found out is that the power of the words were still the same, but his friend was hurt. And a, a little emotional withdrawal out of that man's trust account had taken place at dinner. And that's why Dale says, you can't win an argument. You can't because if you lose it, you lose it. And if you win it, you'll lose it. Boy, these are words that we all need today. And in our own home life, maybe you, you get into an argument. What exactly are we winning? What are we winning with people we live with? What are we winning with people we work with? What does it profit to win that small battle? At the end of the day, you still went to battle. And so that's the big principle here. You can't win an argument. Good to remember the next time you find yourself in one. Here's a second principle Carnegie talked about is an open mouth is a closed mind. You know, Carnegie always asked the question, if you were wrong, would you actually want to know it? And the truth of the matter is the answer for most people is no. Pride and ego has a hell of a lot more to do with argument than anything else. We'll talk about it later, the, the need to be right. And even if we're wrong, we have a need to be right. That's just pure and simple. That's the ego talking. And what we have today in our political discourse, in our conversations, I hear this all the time, you know, last year there was all these tips for people going home for Thanksgiving because people were going to have conversations that ultimately got to politics and unwinnable arguments of people who've already come with all their preconceived ideas and all their preconceived notions. And now we're going to beat one another into submission with them? No chance. Sue Grafton said, if your mind isn't open, keep your mouth shut too. 
Aristophanes said, open your mind before your mouth. Mark Twain said, it is better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. Now, Twain gets uh, championed with that. I also have heard that that's a Chinese proverb. And so the bottom line is the truth has been around a long time. And it is better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I've learned this from my wife. My wife is quiet and I am not. My wife is a listener. I'm more of a talker. You know, sometimes we've been in a situation where people were very intimidated by Beverly or just wowed by her stoicism and they fill in all the blanks. There was a time we were at a very, very high-powered meeting. We'd be on the way back home and she said, I had no idea what those people were talking about. <laughs> but at the end of the meeting, this person who would became a chairman of a board of a publicly traded company said, your wife is a very powerful individual. She is an amazing woman. And she's also amazing because she doesn't actually chime in until she really has something to chime in on. And so I've learned from her over a lifetime of the power of the closed mouth and the open mind. And let's see what people have to say. Sometimes people are synergizing in an argument. Sometimes people are talking things out and they're trying to get to clarity themselves. Well, don't stop them at every hand's turn. And so that's the world we live in today. And that's why being contrary to this is so powerful. Being contrary to this makes you so much more influential than ever before. Everybody talking, nobody listening. Everybody with shallow egos needing to be right. How about you, the person who doesn't need to be right, who wants to just find the truth? And in order to find the truth, you're willing to listen. So remember, winning an argument is actually losing. And then that second principle, that an open mouth is actually a closed mind. We want to be the opposite of that. And the third principle Carnegie teaches is a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So the will of a person is even more powerful than the voice of a person. And so it's very hard to convince a convinced person. Isn't that what's going on nowadays? Are we really going to change somebody's mind? I mean, so what do we do? Our news media is no longer news media. I've watched press conferences and I've watched the questions afterwards and I go, this is not interviews. These are not questions. These are activists. These are activists with an opinion. So what happens now? So now we have 24 hours of opinion, 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 opinion. And if you believe a certain way, you listen to this particular network. And if you believe another way, you listen to this network. It's interesting as a leader of a company and trying to help people through the most recent uh, setbacks with COVID-19 and the recession that came from that and the economic challenges and then the issues regarding racial divide and all the different cultural challenges we're having in our society. I'd be in discussions with people. I can tell what network someone listens to based on their conversation on a business issue, on a strategy issue, on where we're going in the future, because it's influencing the thinking. And the danger of that is we are rotisserizing like a chicken over an open flame, over and over and over again, rotisserizing a position, rotisserizing an argument, rotisserizing, becoming morally deeply ingrained. I don't know about you, but one of the things I love to do is I love to watch documentaries. And one of the documentaries, 30 for 30, is with ESPN. They do a great job and really bringing the, the story that you thought you knew to life. I can't tell you the number of times there was a team I was cheering against. Against, not a cheer for. I'm very Irish. We more cheer against than we cheer for. 
And all of a sudden, this documentary comes out, and I realize, holy moly, I only saw one thing. I prejudged the situation. I thought this coach was this way. I thought this team was this way. Sometimes I found out the bad guys might have been the good guys, and the people I was cheering for might not have been so great after all. And it's that hindsight. And I think it's great. And what it's done for me is it's giving me this ability to look at things from multiple sides. My wife is naturally bent towards seeing both sides of every situation. I am naturally not. But I have learned the discipline of it, and I've learned the power of it. So what does Carnegie say? Winning an argument is actually losing one. That an open mouth is a closed mind. So let's just ask more questions and listen. And that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You can change laws. You can clamp down with political correctness. You can weaponize speech. But if somebody's will is the same and you haven't reached the heart, then you haven't done anything. Dale Carnegie wrote this book almost 100 years ago. And those principles are still very powerful today. The second dynamic is why are we arguing in the first place? Why are we arguing? Well, three reasons. There's unmet expectations. We have this need to be right. I've talked about this already. And then there's a need to feel heard, which is a universal need that all people have. So let's talk about it. The source of all conflict is unmet expectations. Expectation is the root of all heartache. Shakespeare said that in the 1600s. Brene Brown in the 2000s said, disappointment is unmet expectations. And the more significant the expectations, the more significant the disappointment. Doesn't Brene sound like she's quoting Shakespeare right there? We all have expectations. And when expectations are unmet, we can find ourselves in a spot where we're set up for disappointment. And that disappointment leads to argument. That can happen politically. That can happen in relationships. That can happen in business. That can happen in serving a customer. The next piece is the need to be right. Now, any of you who've been in our coaching program know that we use an in-depth personal analysis program called a Heritage Profile to find out what your natural strengths are, your natural abilities are, what your communication style, your work style, how you see time. It gives us a great insight into how somebody's wired. It's kind of a, what we call almost the secret sauce of coaching at Buffini Company because this allows us to coach somebody the way they're wired as opposed to just trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And so that heritage profile, if you've ever had it, extraordinarily powerful. Now, in the profile, there are actually people who have very strong attributes in the area of needing to be right. So one of the attributes is called a justice. My wife has this. It's a very high sense of right and wrong. My bride, as much as she can see both sides of everything, everything gets classified instantly into right or wrong. There's people who have very high ethical standards and so on and so forth. So the need to be right, it's a predisposition for some. It's an application of the ego for others. Why? Because what if I'm wrong? Isn't that the ultimate insecurity? Oh my gosh, what if I'm wrong? So the other application that feeds the ego is the need to be right gives a feeling of importance. Okay. Now I kid with my team all the time, but it can be rough. When it comes to presentations, I have kind of a photographic memory of all these presentations I've given for 25 years. I, I have a hard time remembering what I had for breakfast, but I can tell you what I spoke on in 1996, to whom, how many people were in the room, and how many people signed up for coaching. Well, what happens is I'm in the meetings and so on and so forth, and people are sitting around and they have their computers on the 
oh yeah, and we're going to do this, and uh, we're going to find that, and we, we talked about this content before, and they're all looking on their computers, and I'll go, no, it was section five, point number three, in a workbook on 1997. And sure enough, they prove it, and it's right. And what does it do to the team? And then I, I compound it. I go, yes, right 99.7% of the time on content, and the other 0.3% is when somebody puts the stuff in the wrong place, right? So a really wonderful work environment for my staff. But what happens is I kid around on that stuff, but if people actually felt that that was the case, they would never speak up. They would never dare create content. They would never actually put their two cents in because Brian's need to be right is going to overpower and overshadow everything. As opposed to if people feel like I have to be right all the time, they can't take a chance. They can't risk some new content. They can't develop. They can't use their God-given creativity. And guess what? I have hundreds of people on staff not using their abilities. Hundreds of people on staff with creativity. Tens of thousands of customers who are being creative who are coming up with ideas that I don't know. So if I need to be right all the time, I am going to absolutely miss out on a wealth of creativity, a wealth of input, a wealth of things that can benefit other people or benefit the company or benefit myself. So that's a very powerful thing. So you get to be right, but you get to be all alone. So we have unmet expectations. We have the need to be right. Albert Camus, who is a philosopher, said the need to be right is a sign of a vulgar mind. Edward de Bono said, the need to be right all the time is the biggest bar to new ideas. That's a creativity piece. Gandhi, he had something to say about this. He said, when you're right, you have no need to be angry. When you are wrong, you have no right to be angry. And then F. Scott Fitzgerald said, to be kind is more important than to be right. Many times what people need is not a brilliant mind that speaks, but a special heart that listens. Wow. What an amazing man that guy was. To be kind is more important than to be right. And that is powerful. The next piece to the puzzle is the need to feel heard. Now, everybody has this. And as we get into this, I just think this is crucial for a really good salesperson. You have to make sure that your customers feel heard. When people don't feel heard, they certainly don't do business with you, but they sure as heck aren't going to be lifelong customers. Sometimes we feel the need to be heard. Okay? Speaking of creative input here on our podcast today i've often referred to as murph the intern well murph wanted to share a little story uh, about this about needing to be heard is that his grandma got banned from twitter now I, i just to me i just think that's a book title grandma got banned from twitter but she got banned from twitter for violating their behavioral policies so when murph asked her why she said i just wanted to get my points across So she felt the need to be heard. Grandma Murph is off Twitter. So even if you search for her, you can't find her. But she's a character. So guess what? In the world we live today, you can alienate people with the need to feel heard. I just needed to get it off my chest. You know what? Go for a walk. Or if you have a dog, talk to the dog. Get it off your chest. Go outside and speak to the wind. Sometimes that's better than the other. Okay? So we learned that winning an argument is actually losing. Open mouth is closed mind. And a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. We talked about why we're arguing is unmet expectations, this need to be right, and then this need to be heard and to feel heard. Lastly, I want to talk to you about this important principle. I've talked to you can't win an argument. I've talked about the downsides of why we're arguing. But great salespeople have to be skilled at persuasion. 
We have to be skilled at persuasion. We need to be able to give what I call the necessary nudge to a customer. You know, when people go to make a decision, in my case, I spent a career selling real estate. You have to encourage people when they're a little scared. They're a little nervous. Sometimes you, you lay it out. You need to listen. You make them feel comfortable. Say, you know what? If you were my mom or dad, I'd be encouraging you. This is the house you should buy. Now is the time to do this. I know it's a scary time, but the rates are low. This is a good price. This home is going to be a hedge against inflation for you. It's a great place. It's a great investment. The average net worth of a homeowner is 44 times that of a renter. This might be the decision you need to make. For the past 25 years, I've had to encourage people and in a skillful way from stage, encourage people to get into our coaching program. Now think about it. 25 years ago when I was on stage, people came to an event. They didn't know they needed a coach. They weren't sure what a coach was. They didn't know if they were joining a cult. They didn't know what was up. And so how did I create an environment for people to make a decision that tens and tens of thousands of people have said, this thing just changed my life, changed my life, changed my life forever, changed my thinking, changed what I do on a daily basis. My average client in the last 10 years comes to us making about 30000 a year. And our average client today makes about $330,000 a year. So more than 10 times what they were making before. Well, imagine I had to persuade somebody to do that. I had to actually persuade people to make a decision to change their lifestyle, to change their income by tenfold. You think, well, that shouldn't take any persuasion. Well, the more persuasive you become, you'll have people do your persuading for you. Your own customers will do the persuading for you. Your own referrals will do persuading for you. But great salespeople have to be skilled at persuasion. So what am I drawing contrast with? You certainly don't want to be skilled at arguing because that's not going to get you anywhere. So let's talk a little bit about how to be great at persuasion. So first of all, seek to understand, then be understood. Well, we know that comes from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The second principle is to use empathy. To use empathy, just the word that we need so much of today. Because without empathy, you can't have compassion. And we'll talk about that. And then lastly, I'm going to talk to you about how to give the necessary nudge and lay out for you six principles that will be very helpful for you there. So seek to understand, then be understood. One thing you've heard repeatedly in different conversations we've had here on this podcast is to show respect for other people. Show respect. When we had Miles McPherson on talking about how to heal racial division, for example, one of the sorest spots in our culture today, one of the key elements that Miles talked about is about respect and mutual respect. And in this regard, in regards to persuasion or argument, it's about to show respect for someone else's opinion. Boy, think about how powerful you can be in today's world where that's just not done anywhere, where you're ridiculed offhand, where your Twitter opinions or your Facebook posts or whatever it is, are people just judge them instantaneously and make instantaneous judgments. How far apart from the culture will you be? How far above the culture will you be? How much more persuasive and influential will you be by not just going along with that nonsense? Ask questions. Seek to understand. Believe that somebody actually has some thought behind their opinions. They actually have some reasoning behind their beliefs. And why don't you try to understand that? Because the more people you understand, the more people I understand, the more people we reach, the more people we can influence, the more people we can serve and help. John Steinbeck, the great writer, I'm always, every time I go to Monterey, California, I, I do the Steinbeck tour and I walk along the village there. He said, try to understand, men. 
If you understand each other, you will be kind to each other. There it is again. Knowing a man well never leads to hate and almost always leads to love. Boy, isn't that what we need? Albert Einstein said, any fool can know the point is to understand. John Maxwell said the ability to understand people is one of the greatest assets anyone can ever have. Stephen Covey, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. I've always said the key to success is to be countercultural. Go against the grain. Just look at the numbers. Are more people financially well off or less? Where is it lonely? At the top. If you want to be influential, if you want to be effective, if you want to be successful, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to be fit, if you want to have a great marriage, if you want to have a great family, you have to go against the grain. You have to go against the grain. First, seek to understand. Then, then be understood. The second piece here is to use empathy. Now, empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. See, I believe once you have empathy, then you can have compassion. One of the great quotes of all time is a Native American Indian proverb that says, before you walk a mile in another man's moccasins, you first have to remove your own. You have to get out of your own shoes and get into someone else's shoes. I'm going to say this. I've made a fortune in my life. I've made many fortunes. People say, Brian, you're a great public speaker. You're good da, 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 da. I'm a great business guy. I'll tell you, I have one gift. I have one gift that God gave me, and I've made it into a great real estate career, a great coaching and training career, a great real estate investment career. And it's this. God gave me the ability to think from someone else's perspective. When I'm on stage talking to 5,000 people, when I'm preparing for that talk, I'm thinking about who's in the audience. Recently, uh, working on a training program for brand new agents. I think of the individuals I want to help. I think of the single mom with two kids that the husband walked out on that has a couple of thousand dollars to her name who stayed at home for the past 10 years. And now she doesn't know what else to do. She's been out of the workforce. Her resume's out of date. She's a little older now and the companies are saying, no, we don't want to hire someone of your age. And she goes, you know what? I've always loved homes. I did a lot of work on helping our transaction come together here. I have a good knack for it. People say I'm a people person. People have told me for years I'd be good in real estate. And now she's getting into real estate. She needs to make it go. She's got very little reserves and her kids' livelihoods are at stake. That's who I think about every single day when I'm building a training program for new agents. And I'm going to share with you, even with my own team, and I have a bunch of fantastic staff, I'm going to tell you that's a rare thing. When I'm on stage preparing a message, I'm thinking about who's in the audience. 5,000 people, I'll come up with 10 individuals on different situations. And people will write me letters. You were just talking to me. You were just talking to me. I don't know how you did it. You were just talking to me. What do people come to me? They go, Brian, how is it that you had 3,000 people at your seminar and all 3,000 signed up for the following seminar a year later and paid in advance? And all these speakers and all these companies want to know the magic of what pixie dust that I sprinkle across the audience to make that happen. So I'm giving you guys a secret right now is that in the preparation and in the applications, I'm thinking about who's in my audience. I'm thinking from their spot. I'm taking off my own moccasins, and I'm stepping into their shoes. It gives me empathy. And when you have empathy, then you can show compassion. There is a distinct lack of empathy in our culture. And the more you practice it, the more successful you'll be. 
the more you'll stand out, the more persuasive you'll be, the more impactful you'll be. Stephen Covey said, when you show deep empathy towards others, their defensive energy goes down and positive energy replaces it. Walt Whitman said, I do not ask the wounded person how he feels. I myself become the wounded person. So as we finish here today, for many of you, you, you own a business, maybe many of you are in the real estate business, but all of us need to be a little bit more persuasive. You need persuasion to, to get anything done, to create a negotiation, to get collaboration. Maybe you work in a charity organization. Maybe you have staff people. So the third part of seeking to understand, then be understood, is the necessary nudge. This is where you get to be understood, okay? So we, we want to seek to understand. We want to use empathy. But then we need to give people the necessary nudge. And a great book I recommend to you is uh, Robert Caldini's Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. Caldini basically has six principles in regards to the psychology of persuasion. So I wanted to give you some thoughts today that would help you. So first, the first principle is reciprocity. This is when you give a little something to get a little something in return. So there's reciprocity. Maybe you're giving good information. Maybe you're giving facts. Maybe you're giving service. In our system, you're, you're giving the marketing and the Popeyes and personal notes, and you're giving, giving. You give a little something, and the hope is to get a little something in return. So reciprocity. Here's the second one is commitment. Commitment. People want their beliefs to be consistent with their values. So this whole dynamic of commitment. The third thing in regards to influence is being social proof and that little necessary nudge. You know, there's nothing like feeling validated based on what other people are doing. So what you're doing and what you're talking about is validated on what other people are doing as well. So it's somewhat social proof. When I tell a seller, we need a price reduction on your home because you know what? 42% of people who sold their home last year had to reduce their property one time. Okay. That's a social proof persuasion. Then there's authority. This is where you lead people. So for example, I'm working with the first time buyer and they're nervous and scared and I've listened to them and I understand and I've showed them house after house. I really know what they want. They walk into a house, they love it. They write an offer, but they get cold feet. They want to back out. I, I lead people. I bring them. Well, let's do that. I understand how you're feeling. I understand where you're at. How about we do this? Let's go back to our original meeting. Here's the goals you said you wanted to achieve. Here's what you were trying to get done. Is this still important to you? Do you still want to own a home? Is this house you seem to really like? Is this the one that you still want? Yeah, it is. Tell me what your biggest fear or concern actually is. And then I'll drive them along and I'll share, okay, like I mentioned, 44 times the net worth of a renter. Here's the lowest interest rates we've had in years. Here's the hedge against inflation when inflation comes. Here's the opportunity to appreciate. Here's the opportunity to pay down a mortgage. Here's the opportunity to own your own home. And please listen to the magic of owning a home. And that's a, a very powerful podcast we did. And you'll see where that's where I get to lead people. And that's where that authority comes from. The fourth thing is liking. The more you like someone, the more you'll be persuaded by them. You, so you need to be pleasing and likable. And so it's, it's number five. It's not number one. And a lot of salespeople make mistakes by trying to be liked first. But we have reciprocity first, where we're giving. We have commitment. And then you have a social proof. Other people are doing this. And, and then you have a sense of authority where you're actually leading people. And then after liking, the last part is scarcity. And that is people need to know what's in short supply. One of the greatest attributes I believe that a great salesperson has is the ability to create a sense of urgency. And people need to know the score. They need to know, no, they don't have all the time in the world to make a decision on this home. They don't have all the time in the world. Someone else is out on the market too. Uh, people need to know when they're putting their house on the market. Your home's in competition with other homes. Oh, I'll just wait until I get my price. Well, just so you know, 
buyers are out there looking at your home versus other homes. And when your home's on the market and it's 100 days on the market and a buyer walks through the house and they go, man, you know, I really like this house, but nobody else wrote an offer. Why didn't anybody else want it? So that understanding of scarcity, very, very important. Here's what I'm going to say to you. In my life, I've persuaded a lot of people. I've persuaded a lot of people based on not technique, but based on conviction based on creating a comfortable environment, based on creating a community where people were aligned with similar values, to really listen to what people wanted, to serve, 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 and give, 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 then along the way, give a necessary nudge. So hopefully this podcast has been helpful for you today. Hopefully you understand that you can't win an argument, neither can I. Hopefully you understand today why we're arguing. And hopefully you realize that great salespeople have to be skilled at persuasion. Oh, by the way, for those of you who are self-employed, own a small business, or in the real estate industry or mortgage business, I'm in the midst right now of building a brand new training program called our Pathway to Mastery Advanced Course. And so our Essentials course that's out now has all of these six psychological principles I just mentioned. They're all laid out in detail in our negotiating section in the Essentials course. So go check that out online. The Advanced course, which will be coming out soon, well, I've done a whole dynamic of objection handling for both buyers and sellers, and that these six principles come to life in a gracious way, in an empathic way, in a persuasive way, where you really hear the needs of your customers, hear where they're at, connect, serve, give, and ultimately nudge them in the right direction as a professional to make a great decision that's in their best interest. Well, it's a great privilege to come to you today. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope you feel persuaded to listen to this again. Go check out our training programs online at buffiniandcompany.com. We'd like you to become highly skilled in the area of persuasion, and we can help you do that. And as I leave you today, let me persuade you by leaving you with a little Irish blessing. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. 